All right. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find and open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. Uh, I'm excited as we get started today. Uh, we are coming into the Easter season. Uh, the more liturgical part of the body of Christ, our, our Catholic and Lutheran friends are in the Lent season, all right, which means there's a ton of fish fries going on and good food and stuff like that. Uh, I love this time of year, all right? I love it more when snow is melting and not falling, all right? And we started the week with some melting, and then we had a really weird part of the week there that I would just want to ignore, all right? And then we're going to get back to melting here, hopefully. All right, and, and, and this really, this time of year, is one of the most important parts of the Christian calendar. All right, we are focusing on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here at River of Life Church, we, we are going to have a Good Friday service, all right, at 6.30 p.m. The next morning will be our big community Easter egg hunt. Uh, that starts at 11. We'll have fun games and stuff starting at 10.30. Just keep people busy as we're doing registration. And then Sunday will be our Easter service, regular time at 10 o'clock. All right, uh, we'll be bringing in some extra chairs here for the service as well. And we just are excited to reflect and celebrate together. Uh, so you, you don't want to miss this, all right? I'm excited. I want to even just challenge you. Uh, as you are making plans for Easter weekend, all right, make, make this a big rock. All right, put this on the calendar and plan around this. Like, it's so good to come together as a church family, especially at a time like this, uh, a season like this, and just celebrate together. All right, so in light of Easter coming up, we are going to take the time uh, between now and then to focus on the last days, uh, the last week or so of Jesus' life as he was moving towards the cross that was ahead of him uh, and just moving towards that goal that he had. All right, we're going to be looking at uh, just some of the main events that happened, the Last Supper, the triumphal entry, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and his trial. Uh, but this week, I want to lay the groundwork uh, the foundation for all of this, okay? Because Jesus didn't just like one day he was preaching and he said something that made people really mad and everyone's like, we need to kill that man. Like that, that's not how this happened. This was a buildup that happened over time, over seasons, over, over weeks, months, years that was happening that led to all of this, okay? And, and so today I want us to look at how did we actually reach the place when we get to the last week of Jesus' life, where people are upset. People are, are happy, they're excited, they're worshiping him. People are upset, they're mad, and they're wanting to kill him. Like, what led to this? So we want to slow down a little uh, and really just take in what this season should mean for us. All right, some things that we probably should focus on a little more. And I'm excited for this. Uh, it's always great when you can just dig into your Bible more and refocus our lives on Jesus. All right, so let's be ready for that this morning. Let's get our mind in the right spot. Have some expectation for what God wants to do in us today. So if you could, if you're able, uh, would you stand? I'm just going to pray quick. If you're not able, that's fine. All right, but let's just, let's start uh, this, the morning with prayer here. So God, I pray right now. Lord, as we look at some of these passages that I know that uh, many of us have seen time and time again, that, Lord, you would just speak through these in a new way, that we would be challenged in a new way, that we would walk out of here different people from when we walked in because of what you are doing inside of us. God, we ask that this morning. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Last week, as we were finishing up talking about this global idea, uh, we actually 
kind of looked at this idea of it's so much bigger than us in Long Prairie, right? We were talking about this, the impact we can have around the, the globe. And I spent some time talking about God's plan for his creation from the beginning. And, and this is incredibly important. Understanding God's plan and keeping it at the front of our minds uh, is one of the most important and foundational things that we can do as Christians. All right, and it's actually super important for our Easter narrative, remembering what God's ultimate plan was for all of creation. God wanted a relationship with everybody. Uh, we were created in his image to actually rule over God's creation, to steward it alongside of him in partnership with him. And that's the picture that we get in Genesis 1 and 2. All right, but we chose our own way. Ever since then, God has been trying to bring us back into right standing with him. All right, and he started this process with a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham, I want to have a special relationship with you. Then it's going to be extended to your descendants, to your kids and their kids. And then through that, it's going to be extended to everybody in all of the world, in all of creation. All right, and he's saying, I'm doing this because I want to have this relationship with all of creation. We always have to remember what his plan was and that we have a role to play in this plan. Well, when we read the Bible and we watch the story unfold uh, of what God's plan was, it doesn't really unfold as fast as I feel like it should. All right? Partly because I'm impatient. Partly because I just don't think it's actually unfolding as fast as even what, what God wanted it to at times. All right? Here's what's happening. God wants to establish this relationship with Abraham and his family, the Israelites, and then he wants to extend it to others. But they, they just stop. They don't pass it on. Like they have this special relationship with God and then they kind of just stop there. God had set them apart. They were his people. They were special. And the Israelites liked that. They liked being God's chosen people. It was like this badge of honor to them. And here's the thing. Like if you have special status, all right, that set you apart from a group, but then a few others in the group get that special status, and then pretty soon a few others. And then pretty soon everybody in the group is special. Well, when everybody is special, no one is special. Right? Like we know that. And so sometimes when you have this special place, like you want to kind of hang on to that. All right? And, and so the Israelites, they are God's chosen people and they get pretty comfortable with that. They like that life. In fact, I, I, they want to stay right where they are and they want to just live that life. They had been given these laws, these rules uh, from God, and the purpose of these laws was to set them apart, to live differently from everyone else. It was also to bring them into a closer relationship with God. Sin was a hindrance to their relationship with God. So if they didn't sin, if sin could be removed, then they could be closer to God. All right, so the law became this outward sign that they were special, and in keeping it, that they were special. All right, so they began to focus heavily on the law. They started making other laws that would help them keep the original law. That sounds kind of silly. Let me put it this way. All right, there's this law called a speed limit that none of us ever break, right? Ever. And, but here's the thing. If we actually wanted to do better at not breaking that speed limit that I'm pretty sure every single one of us probably does, uh, it would be like making another law, like your car's engine cannot be bigger than this, right? Like everyone would be driving like the moped that I have that's 49cc, where when you really open it wide open, you're like, all right, I'm hitting 27, 
28, 29, you know. Like, if we actually wanted to keep that law, we could make other laws that would make it harder to then break it. And that's what the Israelites started doing. That's what the Jewish religious leaders started doing. They started creating, like, fence laws. Like, they actually even had, a, had this one where, like, you weren't supposed to spit on the Sabbath. Because if you spit, it could hit the ground and start rolling and make mud. And you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't make mud on the Sabbath. Like, is that, we laugh. Like, that's ridiculous. But they started doing this. They wanted to keep the law so bad that they started making these other laws to kind of do that. And, um, and these extra laws made them, in their minds, even more unique and special. And they focused so much on this, so much on being the best Israelites, the most special set-apart group, God's little chosen people, that they completely forgot why they had been chosen in the first place. There was a reason that they had been chosen. They were chosen to bless others. It wasn't meant to be a special status. It was meant to be a special responsibility. And they got that mixed up. And this is the main issue that faces the Israelites. The law versus God's heart. All right, like the law, which is the, the letter of the law, everything following these rules, or what was God's heart behind the law. And this was the issue. And, and they go on for generation after generation with this wrong thinking, with this focus on the law. Thousands of years focusing on the law, trying to be the best little law keepers. But instead of the law leading them closer to God, and even more importantly, leading others closer to God, it led them away from him. They were making the law so complex that ordinary Jews had a hard time trying to keep it let alone someone from another culture who wasn't Jewish, who wasn't raised in this. They were completely missing God's heart that was behind the laws. And this snowballed and snowballed. And God sends prophets that warn the Israelites that they are off target. And actually, even his prophets are not above being off target. Right? Like we, we have Jonah. And we did a whole series on him talking about this. Jonah is this guy. He, God speaks to him, says, bring this word to these people. He goes, he passes on God's word. But he actually doesn't want them to respond. The city of Nineveh repents, and they're like, we want to be closer to God. We want to do what we should do. And Jonah's like, no, I want you to burn. And he goes outside of the city, and he argues with God, saying, no, God, destroy this city. Like, this is why I didn't want to come here. I didn't want them to repent and for you to be merciful. I wanted them to pay the price for their sin. Like, so even God's prophets were missing this at times. It's not that God's people were necessarily like wrong. They just weren't, they weren't progressing. They weren't focusing on the right thing. They had, originally they had good motives, a good heart behind it, but they started to miss it. Does this, does this make sense? Like you can do great in school. You can learn everything you should. You, should. you can be doing the things you should be doing. But if you reach the end of eighth grade and decide, I don't want to move on. I've gotten good at eighth grade. I want to just stay and be king of the eighth grade. All right. Then you have missed the entire point of eighth grade. The point of eighth grade is to prepare you, to progress you, to get you ready for ninth grade. That's the purpose of it. And this is kind of what they were doing. They, there was a purpose to this law, to moving them forward, and they just stopped. They were like, no, I'm good at this. I want to focus on this. So the point of their special status in the law was to move them to a place of influence so that they then could influence the world. Instead, their special status became something to protect in their eyes, something to compete in, something uh, to lord over others. All right, now enter Jesus. 
Jesus was here to move this along. And when he comes, there's tension with Jesus. Not between him and the people that are far from God. All right, that's, that's most often in modern day churches, modern day Christian lives. When I see tension between Christians and other people, most of the time it's between Christians and what they would call the world. And all these terrible people that are far from God and they're trying to change everything and, and make everything wrong and all these things. Like th there's this big tension that's there. And we need to stop and ask ourselves, okay, why, why was that tension not there for Jesus? You want to know where his tension was? His tension was with the religious leaders. With the people that thought they were good. That's where his tension was. He hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, all sorts of sinners in their mind. He would tell them to change the way they were living, but he didn't have tension with them. His tension was with the religious leaders, the people that weren't doing what God ultimately had told them to do, and they knew better. They knew what they should be doing. And we're going to quickly look at a few examples of Jesus' interactions with them that lead to them ultimately wanting to kill him. All right, so Israelites were interested in keeping God to themselves, essentially. Jesus comes on the scene with a different agenda. He wants to speak to God's people, but he wants to move this forward and pull in others as well. And the others he wants are those who would seem far from God, those who aren't the perfect law keepers, those who aren't even part of the Jewish family. All right, and I'm going to classify all of these people together in a group that we will call the marginalized. They were pushed out to the outside. People that the religious elite had pushed to the fringes because of their actions, because of their life, because of their ancestors, their ethnicity, sickness and diseases that they had. They had pushed them out. To the religious elite, these people couldn't cut it. They weren't in the special group. They wanted that special group to remain small. Jesus wanted it to grow. So Jesus begins to assemble his team. Mark chapter 2, we see this play out. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? Wow, Pharisees, tell us how you really feel. Like that, that is brutal. It gives us insight into what they were thinking about the people around them. The people they were supposed to extend the blessing to. The people they were supposed to help follow the law so they could be closer to God. They saw them as scum. And no one loves scum. No one blesses scum. No one helps scum. So the Pharisees had the wrong outlook. They missed God's heart on people that were far from God. Next we see a couple interactions surrounding the law. That continue in the next, over the next few chapters, where they start asking him about fasting and the Sabbath and divorce and all sorts of different things, where they're trying to kind of bring everything back to the law. The letter of the law is what the Pharisees are doing here. And Jesus' responses to them focus it back on what was the initial intention of this law it was to bring us closer to God and to his heart. The Pharisees are missing that. And Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. In it, he keeps saying this line, You have heard it said, 
And then he quotes part of the law. He's kind of quoting the Pharisees. And he says, but I tell you, and he goes on and says something else. All right, and, and to show that Jesus is not necessarily against the law, like he understands the law, he understands the purpose of it, inside of this he actually will say like, you've heard it said, don't kill somebody. And then he ratchets it up. He says, I'm telling you, if you even hate somebody in your heart, it's the same thing. What is he doing there? He's removing the letter of the law and he's bringing it to the heart of the law. That's what he's doing there. He's saying, this is about the heart behind it. You guys have been missing this. You've been missing it in one direction and the other. You go too strict and too lenient. You do both because you're missing the heart of the law. The law falls short. It isn't enough on its own. It was always about God's heart. I want to read a longer chunk out of Mark chapter 7. Uh, and I think this really shows us the problem that was going on between the religious leaders and Jesus. So I'm going to read this longer chunk, and then we're going to kind of move towards, uh, towards closing this. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Like th this passage, we can see Jesus is getting to the heart of this. It's not about these laws, these traditions. Like you're letting your parents starve because you're like, oh, sorry, I can't buy food for you. I have to give that money away. And he's like, are, are you kidding me? Like stop and think about the heart behind this. You're so focused on your laws and traditions, you've lost your way and forgotten what they were all about. Why was Jesus' teachings so engaging for people? Because it was, a, it was about the heart of what God wanted. The teaching that they had for years and years and years by their leaders really had been corrupted in so many ways. It was just trying to be the best rule follower. So Jesus comes on the scene, brings things back to the heart of his father, what it was always intended to be, and it creates this massive tension between him and the religious leaders that ultimately leads to them planning his death. And over the next couple weeks, we will see the final few straws that really broke the camel's back for the religious leaders in the last week of Jesus' life. 
But I want to leave this right here today. Because I think there are a few things we should be pulling out of this and applying to our lives. And I, I don't want us to miss this, all right? I know for me, I read through these interactions, I see the way the Pharisees act and think. And, and in my mind, I think, how could they be so thick-headed? How could they so obviously miss God's heart? And any time I think there's no chance that I could relate to somebody in the Bible, that's when you are on dangerous ground. Because that's when you're most likely to step into it. And, and, and I know for me, like, I think the truth is that we do this all the time. I think that we probably can relate to the Pharisees more than we would want to admit. So I'm going to give us three ways quickly here about how I think we relate to the Pharisees. The first one, we get caught up in our own tradition. We do. Think about the Easter season, or really any religious holiday. Uh, how many things do we do just be, like, how many things do we do because it's actually drawing us closer to God? How many things do we do because we've always done it? Because that's the tradition. Like, are we actually looking for God, draw me in closer to you? Rules and traditions will never bring us into the kingdom of God. All right, what rules and traditions do for us is they bring comfort. Because there's comfort in, in what we already know. So we keep going through the same motions, the same traditions over and over. Because it's comfortable. And it doesn't require as much growth. So has church, has your relationship with God become tradition and law? Are you just going through the motions? Like this is something I think we honestly have to step back and ask ourselves this Easter season. Okay? Second thing. We feel like we are special because we are Christians. We feel like we're part of this special group. It's easy for us to get into that mindset. Alright? Because I go to church, I'm part of this special group. All right, and maybe we start to think that God loves us a little bit more and we are a little bit more special. And we work hard to live our lives for God and it might make us a little mad when someone else doesn't quite work as hard, but they are just as loved by God. Okay, like understand this. God loves you, but he does not love you more than any other person. Like, do we, we know this, we believe this, but do we actually like take that to heart and realize like God doesn't love me any more than anybody else, anybody else in this town, anybody else in this world? And, and here's the thing, like there isn't anything you can do to make him love you any more than what he does. And there isn't anything you can do to make him love you any less than what he does. And that is so difficult for us to understand. Because as much as we would like to think we can, we always have some type of condition attached to our love. Like the closest we get is when we start talking about maybe loving family. We're like, yeah, like, man, my family is messed up. All right, and I still love them, so I understand God's unconditional love. And it's like, uh, I think sometimes we try, like we get closer, but truly this unconditional love that God has, it's crazy for us to try and comprehend it. I don't know if we have the ability to actually comprehend it. The third thing, we stop progressing because we are happy where we are. God has a plan for your life. He does. He has things he wants to use you to accomplish, unique responsibilities that maybe only you can do. 
But almost always, in order for us to be used by God, we first need to be growing. We need to be moving forward. God's plan needs to move forward. We need to move forward so that that can happen. But we instead really, like, we really end up liking the spot that we're in, that we've landed on in this journey. So what we do is we kind of make camp right there. Right? Like, life is hard. Growing is hard. I need a short little break. And this short break gets longer. And this little camp at one spot in our life turns into something a little more permanent. Pretty soon we're building a house right where we are, right there, just saying, God, I don't really care about moving forward and growing. I really like where I am. I want to just get better at this, what I'm doing right here. I think some of us here today know that there are certain things that God has asked you to do. But you aren't moving forward with them. Maybe because you're scared. Maybe because you're stubborn or lazy or don't want to. It doesn't sound exciting or fun. Could be a lot of different reasons. But I think far too often we end up just staying right where we are, making camp somewhere where God's like, I I need you moving forward. For my plan to move forward, you have to move forward. All right, can we stand just across this place as we, as we finish here? Ultimately, I think that pretty much all of this can get boiled down into one statement. One statement of why we so easily can become like the Pharisees. And it's this. It is easy to forget the why. It's easy to forget the why. There's a why behind everything that God does. He has a purpose. He had a purpose for choosing the Israelites as his people to bless the world, to reach the world. But when they forgot the why, they went off target. There's a reason that you have ended up where you are. There's a reason that you're here today. There is a why behind it. But I think too often, we just think everything is coincidence and our own choosing in our life. And we get stuck in our own little world. Like realize, yeah, you you maybe made the choice to get up and come here today. And you're making a lot of different choices in your life. God has given us free will. That's, That's an amazing thing. But as you take these steps forward, as you make choices in life, God is still trying to steer you just towards this purpose that he has. There there are things that he wants you to do. And he can keep drawing you back in towards that. But if we just keep forgetting the why, we forget that there even is a why. We're not going to be moving forward. His heart is for all people. His heart is for you, for your family, for your neighbors. He wants to see them all in relationship with him. That was his plan from the beginning, not being burdened by sin. And the Bible isn't meant to burden us with more laws and rules and do's and don'ts. Okay? It was meant to draw us closer to him. So maybe right now you're even like, okay, I need to change the way that I think about the Bible. Like, it was meant to draw us closer to him, not to make this big, long list of things that we try and do. 
I want to leave our response today like pretty open-ended. Sometimes I try and bring it down and make it more specific. But the reason why I want to do that is we're moving into the Easter season. And I think today is a lot less about like one specific response and more about preparation. All right, there's a reason why we're calling it the setup. It's all about what, what was the setup of this Easter season of Jesus reaching this place where someone is wanting to kill him. But also I think today, this is about the setup for you and for me of like, okay, God, what needs to happen in my life right now so that I am ready for him to move in my life this Easter season? Like, am I, am I actually going to be changed this Easter season, this incredibly important time where Jesus rose from the dead and changed everything in our world? Am I ready to take that in and be changed by that? And if not, I want to take the time right now. I want to take the time this week and say, God, get me ready. God, point in my life, what areas, what areas am I missing it? Am I off target? What areas have I created tradition and rules to follow? What areas am I missing the why? So what does it mean for this season to have significance and not just tradition for you? What does it look like for you to take a step in that direction? Maybe you need to rethink the calendar over the next few weeks. Maybe you want to sit down and, and, this is going to sound silly, but create a new tradition. <laughs> but something that actually, its purpose is to bring your mind back to Jesus, back to God, back to the heart of all of this. And that's, that's what we want to do. All right, so I want us just to take this time and say, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to change? Get my mind off of rules and do's and don'ts. God, I want your heart. I want your heart this season. I want to just pray that over us this morning. God, I pray that right now where we are, Lord, that every single one of us would be walking out of here with something that you are speaking to us today. Something that needs to change. A new focus we need to have. Something we need to be reminded of. God, that you would work in our hearts today, this week, over the next few weeks. God, as we approach this Easter season, that this year would be different. This year, it would be about your heart, not about traditions, not about going through the motions. But God, that we would be changed. I think sometimes it's good for us to even just take some small step even before we walk out of here today. Because I know in my life, like I'll, I'll, God will be speaking to me and if I don't do something right then and there, I walk out and everything else in life comes back and everything goes back to the way it was and I have a hard time. So I even just want to ask, and this it doesn't mean a whole lot, but how many of you would say, I need to change something this season so that as I walk through the next few weeks, I am ready for God to do something in my life. How many of you guys would say, that's me. Something needs to change. I, maybe you don't even know what it is yet, and that's fine. 
but you would say, I am open to this change. I am open to God speaking to me. I am open to God challenging me, and I want this to be different. Yeah, quite a few of us, quite a few of us. God, we just give you permission right now, Lord, just to speak to us. God, this isn't about us. This is about, this is about your heart. We believe that you want to move us forward, but not even just for our own benefit, God. You have such a bigger picture in mind than even that. So God, begin to just work in our lives in that way. If you're here this morning and you, maybe you're feeling like, I, I want to actually make a, a big change. I want to begin to live my life for Jesus. I don't think I'm doing that, and I need to focus more on that. There is a, a Connect card in your row. I want to encourage you, you can check a box on the back that just says, like, I, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've made that decision, but you're, you're lost as far as what your next steps are in this. There's a box there for that too. I want to know my next steps. You can just drop that in the box as you're leaving today. We want to be able to follow up with you. This is why we have the body of Christ. This is literally the job description of Pastor Aaron and myself and of just pastors, scripturally speaking, is to help people move forward, to equip you. So we would love to get together and talk with you. Otherwise, I want to just close with just a, just a prayer of blessing over us as we go into this week. God, I pray that every single person in here, Lord, as we walk out of here, we are walking out of here with you with us, with you just permeating us. God, that this week as we interact with people, that they would see that something is different, that there is something more, and that they would want to know what that is. They would have a desire God, and that we would have an urgency to see your heart, your will, your plan to be accomplished in this world. Jesus, use us today and this week. We ask this in your name. Amen.